0: This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. I don't know if you're like me. I've known a few people that I want to look at and go, forget you. You ever know those folks? right? To me, they come in two different categories. You've got the guys that are just full of themselves, right? They walk into a room and it's just me, me, me. How you doing? Me, me. Let me talk about me. Uh, have you noticed what I've done lately? Yes, look at me, right? Those guys, Brian, Brian Reagan, the comedian, calls them me monsters, right? They're just all about themselves. And when you walk in they're, and, and they kind of come into the, the room, you look at them and go, yeah, I'll just forget you. You're saying that in the back of your mind, just forget you. And then there the other kind of, of folks that you want to say, forget you too. All right. Those are the people that ask you to do the most absurd crazy things ever, right? You haven't had a day off in a whole month, right? And all of a sudden you got a day off and they your friend knows about it, and it's that friend that that always is going to ask you to do something that you're gonna be a little uncomfortable with. And he calls you up, he goes, You remember that time I helped you move? Remember that time? I know this is your first day off in a long time, but I'm moving tomorrow. And I'm calling in a favor, calling in a favor. We're starting at 5.30 in the morning, anticipating it's going to take 14 hours. I'm sure you're going to be all day, right? You just want to go, forget you, no. No, I'm not. I remember this moment with my granny. I'm going to tell this story. This is the grossest story ever. my, my, um, my granny is my, my dad's mom, right? And and she is just a country grandma. And so, uh, we would come up and on on the during summer vacations, we'd spend uh, weeks at the time with with granny and pa. And and granny, granny's just the sweetest woman. But she's always loved animals. Always had a really soft spot. in in her heart for for dogs and cats. And so at any time, there's always been, you know, up to like uh, five or six dogs, you know, a bunch of cats, all that kind of stuff. And so she had this dog when I was a kid named Rascal, right? You don't name a dog Rascal unless that dog does a bunch of stuff that just ain't supposed to be doing anyway, right? And so she had this dog, Rascal, and he was the kind of dog that would eat your mail, chew up the newspaper, you'd miss, you know, some clothes that you had hung out on the, the clothes line and he'd be out there running through the field with them and I looked out in the, in the front yard one time and there was Rascal he looked like he was trying to take a poop but nothing was coming out and I said Granny Rascal's trying to take a poop but nothing's coming out she went and got the surgical gloves and put them on and said Kevin come on come with me and I said Granny forget you I'm not going out there with that. Now, sometimes we need to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror, though. And that person that's staring us back in that mirror, we need to have the strength and the guts to look at that person and say, forget you. That's what this series is about. Two weeks anchoring into John 3. And in John 3, there's a small passage that begins this way. And I'm going to read this first, and then I'm going to set a little context for you. John 3, verse 23. They came to John. Now, this is John the Baptist. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan... The one that you testified about. Well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now understand what's going on. John the Baptist has a ministry. He really may be suggested by archaeological evidence. The largest single person to have impacted the known world outside of Jesus I mean, we're talking first century. There is evidence that John baptized people that are in North Africa. When Paul in the book of Acts goes around into Greece, he runs upon people who say, I was baptized by John. John has a mega ministry. Eventually it's so big they're going to cut his head off because he stands in the way of the religious leaders. He's also Jesus' cousin. They've been friends since they were children. And John baptizes Jesus, and it's Jesus' start in his earthly ministry. This is how Jesus gets started. He goes to John and says, will you baptize me? He does. The heavens open up. The Holy Spirit ascends on Jesus like a dove, and they hear the voice of God speaking over this moment. And shortly after that, more people are crowding to be baptized and to listen to the teachings of Jesus than we're listening to the teachings of John. And like many good church members, John's disciples are upset about that. Hey, John, you know, you know that guy that you prayed over? Everybody's leaving our church to go down the street and listen to him now. They're going, I mean, John, what, what are we doing wrong? What's, what's happening? What's happening? And in, in, in Jesus would say of John the Baptist that there was no greater prophet in the Old Testament or in the New Testament than John the Baptist. That's how significant his ministry was. And he looks at this circumstance in John 3.30 and says this. He must become greater. He must become greater. Jesus needs to become greater. You see, at this moment, John is echoing something that needs to be placed in all of our hearts. He knows who he is. It would have been quite easy because of the scope and the magnitude of his ministry for him to get confused on who the Messiah was. That's just Jesus. Jesus he's my cousin. No big deal. I mean, we don't really know who his dad was, you know, but wink, wink. I mean, he's going to do something. I mean, he's a good guy. God's evidently been with him, but I mean, look at what I got going on, you know. He didn't do that. He knew who he was. He knew that for the plan of God to go forward, Jesus had to be the Messiah. He was not the Messiah. Jesus had to become greater. And so he says this, he must become greater and I must become less. We're going to anchor in to that verse for two weeks. We're going to anchor right there into that verse because that is a profound statement. It is a profound statement to think about God becoming greater in our lives and us becoming. It's so great. It's so profound. It's remarkably countercultural. It's not at all the way that we think about becoming greater, or us becoming a bigger part of God's plan, or God growing in our lives. Here's some things that I think this verse does for us in giving us a different perspective. The first thing that I would tell you is that, number one, we make a pretty bad center. For the last three weeks, we spent uh, looking at the idea that Jesus wants to be the center of our lives, that It is not enough to put God at number one on our priority list because that lets us have number two without God. God needs to be the center of our lives. That way he infects every part of our lives. That Jesus is not just number one. He's Jesus in my family. Jesus in my job. Jesus in my relationships. Jesus a part of everything. And the truth is, is that we make a really bad center. We make a really bad center for life. And life just doesn't go good when it's only about us. And John the Baptist had the opportunity to make it all about himself, but he didn't. He said, it is good for him to become greater and me to become less. The second thing that I would tell you, and this is so different than the way that the world would teach you, is that second place is Okay. What do we say in our culture about second place? Second place is the first loser. If you ain't first, you're last, right? Ricky Bobby. Shake and bake, right? That's what we think. That's a, I mean, that's the way we think about life. If you're not first, you might as well be last. But he's, John the Baptist is saying, listen. He he needs to become greater and I need to become less. God has not called me to be in first place. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? Yeah. God didn't call me to win. God just called me. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna come in second place. You know, I'm gonna be the second greatest prophet that ever lived. Jesus is the best. I'm, I'm second. But second place is okay when we're following. God's plan in our lives. The third thing that I would see is that being first, best, and important takes a second place to Jesus. The idea of winning and being competitive and being the best, all of that, all of those things need to take a second place to Jesus. He needs to become greater. We need to become less. Look at this quote from Mother Teresa. This is so profound. If you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are. You see, John knew who he was. And the adoration of thousands and thousands of people. The praise of an international ministry in the first century would not shake his understanding that I am not in first place. I don't know if you guys know much about classical music. I had to take music appreciation when I was in college. I wouldn't know much about it unless I had to take music appreciation. I've listened to it. I put it in the background sometimes. Mostly what I listen to when I'm writing is uh, scores for movies I don't even listen to, uh, older stuff. But one of the most celebrated classical artists is uh, Ludwig von Beethoven. All right? And you've heard Beethoven before back in grammar school and in high school and music classes. And, you know, the thing about Beethoven's era was the, health care that was provided was so substandard to what we have today. And in those days, when a person became wealthy, they became very worried about the health concerns that might affect the job that they were doing. And so at an early age, because there was concerns from family history, Beethoven became very concerned about losing his hearing. And as he gradually crept into adulthood, his hearing started to get worse. And he went to every doctor, everywhere, sought every remedy. And with all of those employed, Beethoven went deaf. One of the greatest classical composers in history went completely deaf. And now if you sit in a music appreciation class today, Most of the professors, when they go through Beethoven, will tell you that he wrote some of the best works that he ever composed after he went deaf. Because there were things that he had to learn that he could only come to understand by losing his hearing. You see, sometimes what we need to find can only be found if we lose what we have right now. We'll say that again. Sometimes what we need to find can only be found if we lose what we have right now. And I would tell you today that if we want to embrace a life that says, Jesus, I want you to be more, I want to be less. Then there are some things that are in our lives right now that we have to lose. We have to let go of them. The first thing that I would tell you that you need to lose is this. You need to lose your focus. Focus. You need to lose your focus. Read this with me as we put it on the screen. Hebrews 2.2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on what? Jesus. How many of us today, if we're just blood honest with ourselves, would say, hey, right now, The eyes of my life, the eyes of my heart are transfixed on Jesus. I would wager that there weren't be many of us that would raise our hand in that. And it doesn't mean that our eyes are fixed on bad things. I'm working really hard right now because I want to make a little bit more money to provide better for my family. That's not a bad thing. I'm really focused right now because I'm, we've got small children and it takes a lot of attention to take care of them. Being a good parent, not a bad thing. But the writer of the Hebrews here is giving us the point that our hearts need to be fixed on. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And if our eyes are fixed on any other thing, there is no way that God is going to become greater and We are going to become less. Let me tell you something about growth and development. For everything that is in your world right now, everything, where you think about, I want to grow, I want to get better, it involves the word more. If I want my bank account to get better, I want to get more money in my bank account. If I want my relationships to get better, I want to feel more love and affection. If I want to get physically better in shape, then I'm going to be bench pressing more weight. I'm going to be running more miles. If I want to get better at a hobby or a talent or a skill, it involves getting more knowledge It's the opposite of that when it comes to spiritual development. Growing in the power and the grace of God does not require more. It requires less. And so if we're going to be the kind of people that embrace a life that says, more of you, God, less of me, our hearts are going to have to be fixed on Jesus. Our hearts are going to have to be fixed on Jesus. And you know what happens when we shift focus? Things change when they haven't changed. On the office wall, where Amanda and I did our premarital counseling, there's an old gentleman who did did our, our premarital counseling. He was just very wise, and we spent quite a bit of time with him as we were preparing to get married. But on his wall was a little cross stitch that his wife had made. And he never pointed it out. I don't know if Amanda ever saw it, but I noticed it every time we went in there because it said this: every fight is an opportunity to grow. Every fight is an opportunity to grow. I mean, when the world looks at a fight, they think that's separation entering into our relationship. But God can take conflict and use it to bring us closer and to grow our relationship. See, when we shift our focus somehow, even in the midst of difficulties, the things that we're experiencing can shift. It's really where death and things that look dark can become full of life. It's where we look at obstacles and we start to see opportunities. When we get into situations where we feel desperate, afraid, Despair rises, anxiety rises, that we look at it and see hope. You see, when we shift our focus to Jesus, when we let our eyes be on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, when we can do that, somehow God can take The same circumstance, repackage it, re-give it to us, and all of a sudden, that which was a liability becomes a blessing. The second thing I need to lose is my stuff. My stuff. I mean, isn't that really the message of what a growing life would look like? That we would be acquiring more stuff? That we would have a bigger house, a better car, more money in the bank account. That we would have the, uh, the adult appropriate toys. I'd have my motorcycle. I'd have my little vintage car that I work on. That I would have those things, right? Because life is about acquiring more stuff. Well, it's not. It's not. And, and the people who have lived that life are often at the end of their journey, some of the most empty people because there is never enough. That appetite for stuff is always wanting more. See, that's the only word that an appetite knows is more. It will never be satisfied. But when we turn our appetites to an infinite God, God can fill us. We need to lose our stuff. Look at this verse, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. That one hurts, guys. Because it's saying, hey, replace it. Whoever loves shoes never has enough shoes. Right? Right? I don't know how many shoes you have. I have a lot of shoes. I'll just go ahead and confess that. All right. Whoever loves shoes will never have enough shoes. Whoever loves cars will never have enough cars. Whoever loves money will never have enough money. That appetite is always going to be saying more, more, more. And one of the saddest things generally in life are people who have been richly blessed by God who are confused about who owns their stuff. Because I would tell you right now that I don't own a thing. Now, I have been asked by God to be a steward of a bunch of stuff, but I don't own it. The money that's in my bank account did not come from me. It came because God blessed me with capacities. He called me to do some things that my wife has also been called and responded to He has blessed us. It's his money. He's just letting me be a steward of it. My kids, I love my kids. I have great kids. I got to take care of them pretty much all day yesterday. My son... I mean, he, he can have, like, the nastiest blowout poopy diaper. And he's just looking at you like, I love you. I, I love you. I'm like, God, this is so gross. I'm going to take you in the sink, you know. And he's just looking at you like smile, big, he's a smiley guy. And you want to know something? I don't own them. I don't own them. They're not my kids. They belong to Jesus. And see, when we get confused about ownership, who owns our stuff? We'll let our stuff, that which is a good thing, become a supreme thing. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't have to gods. So we need to lose our stuff because our stuff can become our god. And the last thing that we need to lose, we need to lose our life. Matthew 10:39 says this. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, that's a confusing verse. And it's a verse that we don't like. Because in that verse, Jesus tells us that if I go out and try to build my own life, if I go try to do my own thing, if I go try to run my own play, at the end of life, I will look back and go, where did it go? Where did it go? I mean, I've had 60 years. Where did it go? I mean, I must have lost 30 of those years. And that's what we try to do. We try to go, God, here's my plan. Would you bless my plan? But Jesus says, if we would lose our life, if we would let go of our lives, then we would find a life. Whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. You know, losing your life should involve you becoming Interested in the life of somebody else. Losing the focus off of your life, taking the radar off of your own life and putting it on someone else's should result in us becoming interested in someone else. Wanting to have an eternal impact on the life of somebody else. And I've told you this, but I want to remind you of this, that what God does to you is meant to be done through you. And all too often, we sit back when God has blessed us and we go, oh, God loves me. Look at how much he loves me. Look what he did. Look at how he brought this about in my life. I am such a prize to Jesus. And we sit on a blessing that God's done. But when God has blessed you, when God has given to you, the intent is not that you would sit on it, but that you would bless others. Being around people who have sacrificed financially to get out of debt, to put their family into a good Fiscal shape, right? That they're in a good financial place as a family. And watching them give generously is one of the most rewarding things I've ever seen in life, ever. They're some of the happiest, most content people because they've gotten invested in the life of somebody. They realize that what God has done to me was not just for me. God intended for it to go through me and they give and they bless others. So when God has encouraged you, not just so that you could be encouraged, but so that you could encourage other people. When God has given you strength, it's not just so that you would be strengthened, but so that you would have the capacity to go and strengthen others that are around you. What God does to you is meant to be done through you. You know, sometimes we need to preach to ourselves. Y'all ever had that moment? Like, I just need a little pep speech right now. Just before I get going in the morning, you know, there's some times that you're going to need to preach this message, Forget You to Yourself. I know some of you guys, you got some hard jobs. And you come home at night and you're tired. And you're sitting in your chair because you all have your own chair, all right? Sitting in your chair and your son walks into the room. He's got his baseball glove dad can we go throw the baseball you look inside and say forget you go be a good dad throw the baseball husbands for the eight trillionth time that your wife starts the conversation about I really need some more attention right that conversation because we all have that one occasionally right you need to be the kind of man that looks inside and goes, forget you. You're right. You're right. I, I need to pay more attention to my family and to you. When you've worked hard at work, when you've worked hard at work and there's a promotion and you felt like if I worked hard, if I was faithful, I was going to be the one to get this promotion and the Announcement comes and you don't get the promotion. And you feel tempted to say, just throw it all away. I hate my boss. I hate my job. Look inside and say, forget you. You see, one of the scariest things that we can do in life is look at me and say, forget you. But here's why. You can look at yourself in the mirror. You can look into your heart and say, forget you. Here is why. To forget yourself, you need to understand that God will not forget you. See, you can forget you because Jesus will never forget you. You can put your pride aside. You can put your agenda aside because God has plans for you. And he's not going to fail you. In Isaiah 49, the Bible says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, God uses the most intimate analogy of human relationship. He says, Can a mother forget a young child that is completely dependent on her? And most of us would say no. I mean, I don't know a mom that could do that. But there are moms that have done that. And God says, even though she might, I won't. I won't forget you no matter what. And if you feel lost, if you feel alone, the only thing you need to do is get your eyes off of you and fix them on Jesus because he hasn't forgotten you. You can forget you because God will never forget you. Let's pray. God, today as we Pause. Most of us have lives that are going a thousand miles an hour. And today, God, we need you to come and wake us up and shake us up. We need to forget ourselves. because we live in a world, God, that has taught us if we're ever going to have anything, it's only going to happen because we put ourselves first. We don't have to live that way because it is no sacrifice to lay myself down when I get you in return. So today, God, many of us in the room, we need to do that. We're in that place today that we need to put ourselves aside and we need to receive you. Now with nobody looking around, everybody quiet and still, eyes closed, heads bowed, let me ask you a question today. Are you ready to forget you? Are you ready to forget you? Are you ready to stop running a race that's fighting for your position, your number one position? Are you ready to forget you? Because if you are, that means you're ready to embrace the fact that God is never going to forget you. At all. God's never going to let you go. He's never going to fail you. So if that's you and you're here today. And you've decided, hey, I'm ready. My life has been way too much about me. Way too little about Jesus. I want to make the change. I want it to be different. I want the life that God wants to give me. It needs to become A life that says, more of him, less of me. If you're that person right now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than raise your hand. We're not going to get out of chairs and walk around. Nothing. I just want you to raise your hand. If that's you right now, raise your hand. More of him, less of me. That's awesome. Is there anybody else that would say that today? To so God for those of us that are here that are racing our hands we need more of you, less of me God we are going to look in our hearts and say forget you forget you Forget trying to be first. Forget trying to win. Forget trying to be the man or the woman. Forget trying to earn your favor, God. We're just going to embrace the fact that we can forget ourselves because you will never forget us. So, God, we thank you. Thank you for what you've done in lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray.